Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I am Bill DeFilippo, I have laryngitis, and my co-host Nick Pollock is also here. Nick, hello. Uh, I do not have laryngitis, Yeah. so that's what's going on with me. Throughout the course of this podcast, you're going to hear me cough like mid-sentence, and it's going to sound really weird. Uh, and I'm, it's also going to be a really weird podcast because we went out and got one of our friends from Go Iowa Awesome this week, Pat Vint, editor-in-chief. What's going on, buddy? Um, you guys want to talk about football? Yeah. Kinda. I mean, it, I mean, it's weird. It's weird because, like, I want to talk about a Penn State Iowa football game. Like, that's uh, you should. I yeah. mean, you guys are number four and we're unranked. Yeah, and um, yeah. <laughs> but, well, no. When you think about, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the podcast, but when you think about it historically, Penn State Iowa means you are about to watch like an affront to God and not a football game. And now there's, like, a chance that that doesn't happen this year. I mean, we'll talk a little bit uh, throughout the course of this podcast about how, you know, I was the first team Penn, first, like, really good team Penn State has played this year. I was going to make them work for everything. They get all that stuff, but I, I feel confident. And, Pat, I want to know your thoughts on this. I do not think this game ends 6-4. to four. I, I'm pretty certain that's true. Okay. Yeah, I don't, Very good. If, if, Iowa, if Iowa can hold... Um, Penn State's offense to two safeties. Um, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, if we get another six to four game, I would very much prefer that Penn State is on the uh, six end of it, just so uh, we can say that we got it back. But yeah, other than uh, other than all that silliness, what's going on with let's, you, buddy? Let's not get greedy. We already have the thirty-three, um, thirty-three, thirty. Win over Wisconsin in basketball. 39-33. 39-33. I only that know this because I was talking about this. And there was, an, yeah, Penn State. Penn State basketball we will talk about in another edition of the podcast when Nick is not on <laughs> and we're all, you know, we're all three shots of old granddad deep. But for now, yeah, I mean, Iowa football, Nick. Iowa football. Yeah, Iowa football, indeed. What, I mean, what's... What's going on with Iowa football right now, Pat? I mean, what, where, where's kind of the pulse of the program at right now? Well, it's it's kind of interesting. So, you know, it's Kirk Ferentz, Iowa football. So there's not going to be that much that changes. Of course. But I I think if you look at this, particularly Penn State just has destroyed Iowa the last two times that we've played. And both of those times involve Greg Davis. And I don't want to kick dirt on the grave of Greg Davis. I mean, I do, but... I was going to say, that's a fib. No, I do that constantly. But Greg Davis and Kirk Ferentz never made any sense together. And I think they made it very, very easy for Penn State, particularly defensively, to defend Iowa. And I think it's... Iowa's offense, while it might look like every Iowa offense you've ever seen is more diverse than it's been in probably, oh, 13 years, um, and more kind of uh, intelligent than it's been in a while, and, and makes sense in a logical kind of football theory sense. So I, I think it's an interesting time to be an Iowa fan. I also think that we're coming to the end of Kirk Ferentz's tenure despite his new 10-year extension, um, I don't think he's got probably more than three or four years left. And so the the palace intrigue has already begun. 
as to who takes over from there. So, I mean, really, it's kind of like late era Joe Pa, which <laughs> is, I, 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 it's it's more interesting than it's been in a while, but it's still Kirk Ferentz football, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, fortunately, uh, one very lightly used Brett Bielema should be available sometime soon. So yeah, so my my wife timing, asked yeah. about that the other day. It was like, would they hire Bielema? And I I, <laughs> and then, I told and her, then like, you went Look, to the cabinet where you keep the strong stuff. Yeah, I, I go, look, I, I think your AD is probably committing, like, you know, malpractice if he doesn't at least call Bert. But I don't think that that makes a whole lot of sense at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, if there's one thing that Iowa football doesn't do, it's put up big, burly offensive linemen and run the ball between the tackles. Everybody knows right. that. Uh, Never happens. You know what? I actually do kind of want to talk about the way that Iowa plays. Uh, when we think of Iowa, we think of... What, those two things, we think of a very sound, fundamental defense. We think of a defense that wants to punch you in the mouth and be physical. And it seemed like, like for the longest time when Joe Paterno was in charge at Penn State, that kind of played into exactly what uh, Kirk Ferentz wanted, and that's why I, I, I will suggest that I was able to win some games because I, I will – got to go against a team that played right into all of their strengths. Now that that's yeah. changed in Penn State, Bill O'Brien, James Franklin, all that, spread them out, uh, throw it on them, do all those things. It's been a little bit different. Ha- has that been a kind of constant thing over the last, we'll say five years or so of Kirk Ferentz football, that when someone spreads Iowa out and they're able to out-athlete them, it can get a little bit funny? Oh, I don't even. I don't even think... It's been first off, I think it's been longer than five years, and and I don't think it's necessarily even out athleting Iowa. I think it's just making Iowa's defensive scheme not work quite so well. So, well, I mean, what, what is I, Iowa State put up forty one yeah. on on Iowa two weeks ago, and I don't think Iowa State has anywhere near the athletes that that Penn State or most other Big Ten teams will. But Iowa State went three four wide, shotgun, ran. You know, David Montgomery between tackles out of shotgun formations made it very difficult for Iowa to keep their linebackers inside to defend the run. And then when Iowa brought guys back in, threw it over the top of them. It, it, they, it wasn't very difficult to, to break Iowa. And frankly, that's what Northwestern did for years. So Penn State's doing it on a, on a gross and disgusting level with the guys they have, but it's not, not, it's not anything new for Iowa's defense to have trouble with a spread team. And then real quick on the other side, because I know Nick wants to talk about Nathan Stanley in a second. Like, it, when I was not able to get, like, what is the thing that keeps Iowa's offense from uh, being able to keep the ball, control the clock on? Is it some, as simple as when they can't run the ball, things just aren't able to work, or are there some other factors there? They've gone back to a very much run, run, play action based offense. It's the same offense that, that now quarterback coach Ken O'Keefe ran when he was offensive coordinator. Only the run game is far more diverse than it's been. It used to be the Iowa ran zone pretty much exclusively. Outside zone is their primary play and inside zone when they really wanted to stay between the tackles. And now they run a lot of, you know, kind of traditional power ISO trap counter stuff on top of that. And they've kind of built counter plays into the inside zone, which are really interesting, but um, their, their passing game is very much predicated on keeping it to, you know, on schedule second and six, third and three, and then hitting you with a play action when you're not paying attention. And so if Iowa can't run the ball, 
it makes it very difficult to keep up on schedule for them, and it makes it very difficult for the play action to work. And so, yeah, if, if they can't get a running game going, the offense kind of breaks. So then on the topic of Iowa's offense, I've been kind of infatuated with Nate Stanley so far this year. I admittedly have not watched every second of every Iowa game. I know that might surprise you, but just from at least from at least from afar, it seems like he's been super good, which I mean, it, when you're watching Iowa from a distance like we do, it kind of feels like whenever Iowa has a quarterback that can do good things like they, they do well. That's what happened with, um, I mean, we can list a whole bunch of guys, I think, but I I don't even want to talk about anyone else because I just want to talk about Nate Stanley because he looks really good. Is that true? Uh, he's pretty good. He's a really good fit for what they do. So um, Stanley has, first off, the numbers lie a little bit with him. The first week was kind of a disaster. Um, every time he got hit, he fumbled. And they just kind of got lucky that it didn't really translate into points. Uh, but he's he's found a way to hold the ball when he gets hit, which is good. He's got a uh, pretty good, accurate arm when on the run, when rolling out, and also from inside the pocket. And he's big enough that he can kind of throw over the top of Iowa's big lineman. Um, the only issue really has been he's not a particularly good deep ball thrower. He's been essentially over the last two games on anything over 20 yards and Iowa has, has, you know, contrary to the old Greg Davis horizontal offense, uh, really tried to throw the ball over the top quite a bit this year. Um, if he can find the touch on that, then yeah, he's the quarterback and he's the next in a long line of Iowa quarterbacks who are really good in their first year. Um, we went back and, and looked at it. Stancy's first year as a full-time starter was 09. They were undefeated through, um, the Northwestern game in mid or up to the Northwestern game in mid-November. Uh, Drew Tate's first year as a starter, they went to the Capital One Bowl and beat LSU. Brad Banks' first year as a starter, they went to the Rose Bowl, and Brad Banks almost won the Heisman. Like, that's that's just what, for some reason, first-year quarterbacks at Iowa do with Kirk. So, um, yeah, he's been, he's been good so far. He's been better than we expected. He's not been the kind of game manager that they've had the last out of the last couple uh, quarterbacks. Uh, does that translate to uh, a whole lot more points? I think we're going to find out here real soon. Were you able to draw any correlations or make any sort of thesis on that first-year guy deal? Um, I mean, I think that this is all dime store psychology, so it, thesis is even probably a strong word for it. But yeah, yeah. Kirk, Kirk Ferentz's absolute... Like he goes to bed at night and and has nightmares about turnovers. He he despises giving the ball away in any way, shape, or form. And I think the longer that a guy spends with him and whoever is coaching his quarterbacks at that time, the more the kind of you know bleep it go deep comes out of it, <laughs> and 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 they might get just a little bit too conservative. And and a conservative quarterback in Iowa's offense doesn't work very well because you need to have that deep threat in order to keep the running game viable. And, and for years we haven't really had that in large part because they've never really worked into the offense because they've been so obsessed with making sure they don't turn the ball over with a long bomb. So um, is that the actual case? I don't know. I mean, Ricky Stanzi was a turnover machine his first year and they won a bunch of games. He was a better quarterback in 2010 and they went seven and five and you really, there's nothing in the numbers that would indicate that it had anything to do with Iowa 
or with uh, with Stansy that Iowa struggled that year. So maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I want to talk about, you know, the 2017 Iowa Hawkeyes uh, coming into this game 3-0, and win over uh Future former first or former future first round or something like that. Uh, Josh Allen and the Wyoming uh, Cowboys went to Iowa State, won El Asico, and then played North Texas, won thirty-one to fourteen. Uh, what have they, what have they done well? What have uh, you know they kind of struggled to do? And what just because I figure that when you say what they do well, you're going to mention the running game. Could you give us a brief update on uh, the health of Akram Wadley and James Butler? Yeah, I mean, what they've done well this year is give the ball to Akram Wadley in any way that they can. It's, it's a, It reminds me a lot of kind of what they did early on last year with Barkley at Penn State. Not in that Joe Moore had crazy, you know, run them wherever formation old stuff that they do. But uh, they've put Wadley at the slot receiver. They've put Wadley in a loaded backfield. They've put, they've, broken wildly out all over the place to try to get him space and get him the ball. Um, he made one just spectacular play to tie against Iowa State in a game they shouldn't have actually won. That was um, so be- that was so pretty. Yeah, it was just so magnificently done. And it was a play that we never would have run for the last like ten years. Uh, and and so they've they've been very creative in the way they've handled him. And he's according to everything that came out yesterday at their their weekly um, press availability he told reporters he's 100% ready to go. Ferrant says 100% ready to go, so there shouldn't be an issue. He had a bit of an ankle tweak last week, and I think they thought they didn't really need him in order to beat North Texas, so they just let him sit. Um, they they were concerned they overused him against Iowa State, so that might have played into it as well. Um, the running game's been good. Uh, Butler, you mentioned, is uh, transfer from Nevada. He is out for the next month. Uh, he had a far more significant an ankle injury in the North Texas game. Um, but when with Wadley and Butler out, they turned to a redshirt freshman, Torin Young, and a true freshman, Ivory Smith-Marset, who uh, both were excellent. So I don't think they have any any issue with not having enough running backs sitting around to, to take the carries. And Ferrant said yesterday that he fully expects all three of them to get carries this week. Uh, are, um, are any of said running backs angry and hating God? Oh, you know, okay, here's the funny thing. Okay, so... My theory on angry Iowa running back hating God is that while it isn't the uh, province of the former running backs coach, he wasn't he wasn't airbag himself. Somehow he was involved because as soon as he left, airbag went away. So <laughs> when he left, he became the running backs coach at Nevada, where Butler was playing. Butler comes back and immediately both of our halfbacks get hurt. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think it confirms my theory. Anyway, uh, no, they've they have not been uh, uh, subject to the wrath of airbag just yet. I, I continue to <laughs> perform sacrifices in my backyard to make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, but yeah, beyond you know running the football, is there anything that Iowa has done especially well this year? And then on the flip side, where are their where where are their weak spots? Um, you know, I think the passing game has been better. I think they've done a nice job of working with the receivers that they have. The tight ends are actually pretty athletic and kind of the guys that it can stretch the field and, and do things in the passing game you wouldn't normally expect from an Iowa tight end. Noah Fant in particular is a former four-star recruit out of Omaha that 
Um, you know, Nebraska won him at defensive end. Iowa said you can play tight end, and that's why that's how Iowa got him. And he's been great. He basically only catches touchdowns. Um, they have a couple of kind of possessionist receivers on the outside, but they've got some young guys who have filled in nicely when necessary. Um, um, uh, there's, I, I think I misspoke before. It's Ivory Kelly Martin is the halfback. Amir Smith Marset is the receiver, and uh, he's been very good as a deep threat for them, which they desperately have needed for years. Um, defensively, the front seven looks great on paper, but has kind of underperformed. Um, Iowa came out of the first week against Wyoming thinking that we really had a defense because they held Wyoming to three yards. And then I think everyone kind of realized that Josh Allen maybe just isn't that good. Um, and they got, I think, I think you're mispronouncing Mitch Leidner. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Very much, very much. <laughs> Much a, a, a Mitch Leidner esque figure, although it might not even be him so much as he has nothing around him. That was the thing that I took away from. Yeah, this. yeah. Real, real quick, there was a Mel Kiper article from a few days ago uh, where he said that one he had Allen as his number four player in the draft and Saquon as his number five player in the draft. That's and ridiculous. In one sentence, Kiper said, uh, "Yeah." He, Allen struggled against Iowa, but look at his entire body of work. And then in the next sentence, it said he really struggled last year. Putting up, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I Mel, Mel Kiper, you goofball! That is literally what an entire body of work is. It's it's amazing how hilariously bad the NFL scouting process is, especially at quarterback, where it's like they just look at film of this guy throwing the ball 80 yards and assume that he's going to be a great, and, he, and he's six, five. And they just like, well, that guy's a quarterback. Oh you know? man. Um, I, I feel like you're trying to say something about a former Penn state quarterback, Pat. And I'm going to be very <laughs> upset if you are. <laughs> Hackenberg. Um, Oh, I, but, I meant, uh, Oh, I meant Morelli. Oh God. I didn't even think of that. Oh God. Morelli too. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm grinning ear to ear right now. Um, so the, um, but no, the, the defensive front seven I, I, on paper looks quite good and and has some pass rushing ability in it. They just haven't really gotten to the passer that much. And while the linebackers are experienced, they've kind of, I, I wouldn't say Jules underperformed, but certainly Bo Bauer on the weak side has not been spectacular. And he worries the hell out of me this week. Uh, the secondary's had real problems, though. And aside from Joshua Jackson, who looks like Desmond King out there, They've really struggled to find safeties, and they've struggled to fill the the other cornerback spot. Um, they're going to start a redshirt freshman at free safety this week for the first time, because the the walk on uh, sophomore who was playing there before just really was not working out at all, and teams were just going at him. Um, there's a senior at strong safety, but Miles Taylor has been notorious for being out of position. It's kind of a mess, and so. Um, if, if you're asking me what the thing is that concerns me the most, it's basically the, the safeties and the linebackers and pass protector and uh, pass coverage. Yeah. So on that note, wait, what needs to happen for Iowa to win this football game? They need to solve Penn state on the corners. I mean, it, it, Iowa struggles with any team that tries to attack them to the edge successfully. And Penn state does that for breakfast. Like I, I don't know where Iowa makes any adjustments to do it, but Saquon, you know, running around the edges is just terrifying the hell out of me. And I, I don't know where. I, I think Iowa could, you know, use their defensive line to contain him between the tackles. I think they could uh, effectively use Ben Neiman at linebacker to 
you know, try to neutralize your interior passing game with your tight ends. I don't worry too much about your receivers, except for the fact that we need our running or our cornerbacks to help out on the edge. And I don't know how our safeties are going to perform against your guys deep. If they could somehow find a way to keep Saquon between the tackles and keep Penn State from just obliterating them on the edges, they got a fighting chance. But um, that's a tall order. I mean, the reason that that Iowa beat team like Michigan last year is because Michigan yep. does what you just talked about with Joe Paterno. It's between the tackles, football, and Iowa can play that all day long. Uh, um, it gets a lot more difficult when you're attacking Iowa's outside linebackers, corners, and safeties with guys that are, are way faster than what we deal with. Yeah, that's something we've kind of been talking about on the site this week. The fact that last year, Iowa went into Happy Valley and more or less got embarrassed by Penn State that did essentially whatever it wanted to do uh, yeah. against the Hawkeyes. The following week, they got... It, it's weird, because after you get just dragged like that, usually the last thing you want is the team that's going to come in and you know try and turn the game into a rock fight because you're just battered or you're beaten down. But that played exactly into what Iowa did, and I think that kind of showed... You know, when I was able to control or not be forced to do something a little uncomfortable, they could be, do something that they can make a game interesting. And Nick, I kind of want to go to you. On that note, is that how Penn State loses this game? I mean, we've talked about the time possession uh, issues that Penn State has, has, even if though we don't think it's too big of a deal. But do we think that's how Penn State loses this game? I would just dictates everything and Penn State's never able to get into a groove. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how Iowa wins most games um, in the Big Ten slate. It's when teams basically try to out-Iowa them, which is very yeah. foolish. Uh, it's 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 a... I mean, I guess it, depending on your team, you may not have a choice, but why are you going to try to beat them at their own game that they've been just crafting and perfecting for years now? And... Thankfully, that's that's not Penn State style at all anymore. So, <clears throat> realistically, for Penn State to lose this game, I think it would have to be a combination of Iowa controlling the ball, like you said, just eating clock, going on long drives. I will assume that Penn State's defense will start to give up some points at some point. They'll probably give up more than a few to Iowa because... Nate Stanley is fun, and Akron Wadley is the second best running back, uh, maybe in the nation. Whoa! Under the radar, but whoa, definitely whoa, in the big. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, but definitely, definitely in the Big Ten. But if they can do that and combine it with, let's say, McSorley tosses a couple picks or there's a couple fumbles somewhere, then as as long as they can keep Penn State without the ball and just do something maybe on one or two possessions to take it away from them. I mean, we haven't seen Penn State against a very good team yet. Pitt is bad. Akron is bad. Oh, hold on, Georgia hold on. Uh, Nick, Nick, can you repeat that first thing that you said when you were listing teams? Pitt is bad. Can you say that one more time? Pitt is bad. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> By the way, if you if, if you want to laugh, head over to RoarLinesRoar.com and check out our uh, the schedule for the football schedule. You'll get a nice laugh there in week two. But if Iowa can take away the ball once or twice and just keep Penn State 
just subdued a little bit, maybe they're able to take advantage of a a fast, but Penn State defense is not perfect by any means. Um, maybe take advantage of that second safety spot, which is still up in the air between Troy Apke and Aaron Monroe and a whole bunch of guys. And, I mean, there, there's a path for Iowa to win this one. I don't think it's a particularly strong bet to say that they will, but there's definitely a path. First things first, uh, when you were talking about uh, running backs not named Saquon, you will put respect on Rashad Penny's name. Uh, I love him. I, I have okay. a thing there for San Diego are, State running backs. But... Lot, there are a lot of very good running backs this there year. Are, I, may have, I may have gotten caught up in the moment. Because we do, we do love Akramwadwi. We must stress that. Yes. But Nick, you were yes, talking there are about... Yes, there are lots of good running backs. Yes. You were talking about... Uh, you wouldn't bet on this. So, let's... Uh, Let's pull the lineup. Penn State, 12.5-point favorite. Game kicks mm. at 7.30 in Kinnick, which is always difficult, even though Penn State's going to be at home in the pink locker rooms because that's the original school color. Nick, we'll start with you. Does Penn State cover that 12.5-point spread? Uh, God, that's a perfect spread. Vegas is so smart. Um, <laughs> I... I think my, and I'm actually writing my prediction for Penn Live right now as well, but I think my prediction for this game is going to end up being like 33. Uh, I don't know if I want to say 3320 or 3324. So, well, I, hope, I don't know. I hope I'm, you say 3324 because I literally wrote down 3320 as my prediction. <laughs> I, uh, man, I, I'm going to say 3320. I, yeah. I think Penn State covers it. I, the one thing that I really do not think happens, I, I think after Penn State has just really, really kind of messed Iowa up the last two times they play, I don't think I was going to let Penn State walk in there. And, you know, last year Penn State ran a jet sweep to its quarterback, who then ran over Desmond King on his way into the end zone, to their backup quarterback. Like, there's some disrespect here, and I think I was going to want to fight that. I think it's 33-20. I think it's one of those games that enters, uh, you know, it enters the fourth quarter, and it's maybe like 27-17, and there's a little bit of hope there for Iowa, and then, you know, it gets to do a field goal fest at the end or something, but... Yeah, I, I really – there's just something in me that doesn't say this game ends up being a blowout, even though I do think Penn State wins by a margin that looks a little bit comfortable. Pat, what do you think? Iowa wins. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to Iowa wins. No, I, look, you're, you're absolutely right about, about time of possession probably doesn't matter to Penn State. Um, Iowa just came off a game where they had the highest time of possession that they've had in about 13 years. They're going to – hold the ball for as long as they can in order to keep it close. Um, and I don't think it's going to matter to Penn State at all. I think Penn State's going to run their offense as fast as they want to run it, and they won't give a damn whether they have it for 12 minutes or 20. Um, the The bigger issue, I think, is I, I feel like after the last couple of games, for years, Kirk Ferentz has always gotten ready for Ohio State and Michigan in different ways than anybody else. And I kind of feel like after the last couple of games, I that Penn State's probably on that level with them now. And 
Um, I got the sense from listening to him yesterday that they seem to think they've got an idea of what to do, which is more than they've had the last couple times that they've played Penn State. So um, I'll put my faith in in the dean of all coaching and and say that Iowa holds the ball for like two thirds of this game to keep it close. It kicks a field goal at the end to win at twenty four twenty one. How confident are you in that? Absolutely not confident at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, listen, uh, uh, we all got to have a little bit of faith, and uh, Bill Conway is projecting this one to end. Thir- uh, he has it at 33.5 Penn State, 19.4 Iowa, so about what uh, about what Nick and I said. Uh, Pat, you have to split before Big Ten uh, predictions, so uh, if you would like to uh, pimp anything from your website or anything y'all got going on, by all means, go for it. Well, um, we're going to have a couple of you guys over at our site for our podcast later tonight. Yeah, It'll be up first thing tomorrow morning. Come on by, download it. Um, we're on Podbean, so you can get it there if you have the Podbean app. Um, otherwise, I'll probably write something about like Banana Republics and James <laughs> Franklin on Friday. Um, <laughs> and and we'll see what happens after that. But uh, I wish you guys the worst of luck this week and best of luck the rest of the way. Pat? We reciprocate it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Patrick Vint, Editor-in-Chief. Go Iowa Awesome. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. See you later. See ya. All right. So, Pat just left. Nick had to move onto his phone because he is cooking dinner. So, Nick is going to tell you all what he sounds like right now. Hello, everybody. There you go. So as you can tell, it sounds a little bit funky, but we will persevere because we need to pick big 10 games. First up, 11 o'clock, Columbus, Ohio. Not 11, 12 o'clock, Columbus, Ohio on BTN, Ohio State, UNLV. Nick, if this game is within 40, I will be shocked. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So we're done talking about this game. Next up, a game that actually, (laughs) excuse me, has the potential to maybe get a little interesting, UCF which I believe has only played uh, one game this season due to uh, Hurricane Irma, but I will double-check that yep, there. Yep, one game. Yep, they're 1-0. They okay, yes, they're 1-0, uh, just like Penn State is every week. They're traveling to College Park to take on Maryland. Uh, this game has the potential to be kind of fun. Uh, UCF is coached uh, by former Nebraska quarterback Scott Frost. He's a very innovative, funky thinker. And then Maryland, I mean, through two games – Everything looks kind of great there, so I think this one has the potential to get a little bit silly, Nick. Give me uh, just a thought or two, and then we'll play the ticket price game. Um, man, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I don't, I'm, I, I don't really have a good feel for any for anything about UCF. Uh, yeah, it's kind of impossible to because again, they've played one game against FIU where they dominated. And they're like they're second in in the nation in offensive and defensive efficiency. They're first in offensive field position, fifth in offensive explosiveness, like a hundred and tenth in uh, defensive explosiveness. Like their numbers are just all over the place because we're going off of such a small sample size. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a really weird landscape that college football in general is in right now because of that. Uh, but I, I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with Maryland. They've they looked so good yeah. against Texas, and 
I mean, maybe Texas isn't all that great. I mean, they played really great against USC, but uh, maybe Nick, USC I think, isn't all that good. I think Texas might be back. Yeah, Texas might be back. Texas, on, Texas, is back. The, Texas is back. Texas is back. They, the, they lost 51-41 to Maryland, but they're back. On the scale that's been going around Twitter, I believe we've moved on to the, uh, the Mac Brown picture, so we're like halfway back. Do, is that um, uh, our buddy Ben over at Crimson Quarry who does that? Yes, okay. it is. Yeah, so I think we can comfortably say that Texas is about halfway back now. But I'm going to roll with Maryland because not, not that Texas is playing in this game, but um, I, I feel like UCF, even though we haven't seen much, I don't know how much I trust them. And I think Maryland will be able to get away with just running the ball a whole lot again. And they're good at that. So I'm going to yeah. roll Maryland. So, Nick, a uh, 3 o'clock kick on FS1. It's in College Park. What is the cheapest ticket you can get for this game? Consider, 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 Nick. Maryland seems like they might not be bad. UCF seems like they might not be bad. This is Maryland's first game that they have played at home against a power, against a non uh, FCS team. All right. Well, given all that, I'll say twenty-one. Four dollars. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, sure. You that's you driving to College Park for this game is not the worst idea. I'm just going to throw that out there. You shouldn't do this, but it's not the worst idea in the world. This is true. I'm actually going to be at College Park. I think in 3 weeks or 4 weeks I'll be coaching a baseball tournament there and this if it lines up, I'm do some totally scouting. going. You can do some scouting yeah. uh, this week. Next up, 3.30 kick, BTN, a game that I know for a fact you nor I will watch a single second of. Rutgers at Nebraska. Oh, yeah, I'm picking Rutgers. I am Nebraska's, <laughs> favorite, Nebraska's favorite by 11. I am, I am so far. I mean, I was already on the Nebraska is probably bad bandwagon when – I mean, when we were previewing the Big Ten at the beginning of the year, and now that they have actually shown in practice that they're probably bad, I'm just going to double down and say that <laughs> they could end up being the second worst team in the Big Ten. Sure. Uh, Bill Connolly gives uh, Nebraska a 23, uh, Rutgers a 23% chance of winning this game. The line is Nebraska by 11, but I'm going to pick Nebraska to win, but I. I am almost rooting for Rutgers in this one because, yeah, like, there is just no joy that comes from watching Nebraska play football. And, you know, kind of tying it back to the last game, I mean, once Mike Riley is fired at the end of the season, because if I had to pick one job in the Big Ten, I think is almost definitely opening up at the end of this year, it, it, it would be Nebraska. The thing that makes the most sense is to go get your former quarterback and a guy who's a good football coach and Scott Frost from UCF. So that'll be a that'll be one to watch. Uh, one to not watch is the game after three thirty. Well, it's also on three thirty, also on BTN. It's in Bloomington. Uh, the mighty Indiana Hoosiers host Georgia Southern. I think this game is over by the end of the first quarter. I am going on the books and saying I think Indiana blows them out. 
Yeah. I really like Indiana. I'm not afraid to say it. Peyton Ramsey, baby. Peyton Ramsey <laughs> has taken over maybe for Dickie Legal. We're not 100% sure, but they still got those receivers. And, you know, the defense is, I, I mean, it played pretty well. A uh, defensive percentile against Virginia last week on the road was 83%. Struggled against Ohio State uh, in the second half, whatever that happens. But, yeah, Indiana, uh, we're done talking about this game now. Because next up, Nick, you know what it is. Oh, baby, it's time. It's number eight, the Michigan Wolverines. Travel to West Lafayette, Indiana for a 4 p.m. kick on Fox against the mighty Purdue Boilermakers. Herbie, my man, what are the keys to tonight's game? I would say, I would ask you how terrified do you think Michigan fans and, like, Jim Harbaugh and all them are, but I mean Michigan's too proud to be scared of Purdue. Oh, I don't think but. Michigan fans like like you said, Purdue has a reputation. Like I don't think Michigan fans are worried at all about this game. But I think Jim Harbaugh is quietly terrified. Watching Wilton Spate go up against what is going to be and really just Michigan's offense in general, especially that Tark Black is out for the year. And I believe Ty Isaac might be banged up. I'm not 100% sure on that. Have to go up against a... Nick, is there any way you can mute your microphone? Yes. Sorry. (laughs) But yeah, watching a Michigan offense go up against a hyper, hyper aggressive Purdue defense. One that's going to try and force turnovers. One that's going to try and create havoc. One that's going to try and put... A, a Michigan offense that is underwhelmed so far this year in positions to make mistakes, I think that probably terrifies Jim Harbaugh. Then the other side of the ball, I'm with how Purdue likes to take risks and take chances, I think that plays right into Michigan's hands defensively. Michigan wants to get into your backfield. Michigan wants, again, they also want to create havoc. They want to try and force turnovers. They want to try and do all that stuff. And Michigan plays a style where, uh, not Michigan, Purdue plays a style where those are, in, they are just possible. I don't think that Purdue is able to win this one. I, I think it's, you know, I think Michigan is, that defense is just too good. But at the same time, I would not be surprised, and Nick, I want to hear your thoughts, I would not be surprised if they put a scare into the Wolverines. Yeah, I I think that Purdue can at least keep this a game for, I don't know, maybe a half. I think, I think there's a good chance that maybe the Michigan defense just obliterates them and just demoralizes them, and they go away without a fight. But I think that they should have a shot to play with them for a half because... Michigan can't score, and it's bad, man. Against Purdue's defense, they probably will be able to because they'll be able to just run the ball a little easier. Um, but I mean, then again, Missouri's offense was supposed to be able to score, and they put up three. So I, I think Purdue is able to hang for a half. I think Michigan probably ends up winning by like, when all said and done, probably by like twenty-five points. But really, it's going to be really fun for a half. The line on this game is ten and a half. That's awesome! Oh wow, that's really that's awesome. Yes, I uh, I'm yeah. I don't think Michigan wins by that much because I can't imagine them. I can imagine 
Purdue moving the ball on Michigan and getting into the end zone, especially on a drive where they get some pretty favorable field position, but I can't imagine they're able to do anything consistently. Although I, I yeah, it's going to be fun. Like th- this game has the potential to get weird. Put a bookmark in yeah. it because this might be one that while you're waiting for the Penn State and Iowa game to start, this one might get a little bit silly. Uh, and then right after yep. it, uh, the final Big Ten game of the weekend, 8 p.m. on Fox in East Lansing, Notre Dame, the mighty, mighty fighting Irish, travel to play a Michigan State team that Michigan State has looked solid over the last, over its first two weeks. It had two weeks and then a bye. So it's coming off of a bye, and, you know, Mark Antonio getting an extra week to prepare is usually, uh, it's usually something a little bit scary. Beat Bowling Green, beat Western Michigan. The Western Michigan game was only by uh, 14 points, although I think... Did Western score in two pick sixes? I don't know. I'll look into that while Nick's speaking. That sounds... There was one game where that happened. I'll double-check that, but yeah. And then Notre Dame, on the other hand, they beat the hell out of Temple, beat the hell out of Boston College, and lost a really tight game at home to Georgia, where they didn't look especially great. I have no read on what ends up happening in this game. I mean, Nick and I are the presidents of the Brandon Wimbush fan club, and he hasn't looked great through the air, but he and Josh Adams have been quite the one-two punch on the ground. Meanwhile, Michigan's de- Michigan State's defense, 22nd in S&P Plus, a lot of um, you know efficiency, third in the nation, explosiveness, ninth in the nation, field position, eighth in the nation, Finishing drives, second in the nation. Like there are reasons for optimism on that side of the ball. If you're Michigan State, for me, it's just whether or not they're able to score. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, it. I. It's a weird game because Michigan State historically plays Notre Dame really well, but and and if you look at the numbers, Michigan State has been pretty good this year but i mean competition again so i it's a weird game to pick again like all these big 10 games but i think i'm i think i'm leaning towards notre dame i think i trust what they can do a little more like you said brandon wimbush and josh adams running the ball has been a really good combination for notre dame especially when given the fact that they can't pass at all so I'm not fully convinced that Michigan State's defense is Michigan State's defense again. So I think just on the on the backs of that, I think I have to go Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, Western Michigan, for reference, uh, scored in a fumble return and a kickoff return. So, uh, yeah, there was that. But, yeah, I, I, I think I'm with you on Notre Dame. I think Michigan State's defense – especially the fact that they've been pretty solid against the run this year. I think they'll be able to keep Notre Dame's uh, ground game kind of kind of slow, just slow them down a bit. But I don't have much faith in L.J. Scott, Madre London, or Gerald Holmes to run the ball. Uh, Brian Lewerke has been perfectly whatever. I want to see if he can win a football game. And if he can win a football... Like, this is a game for Michigan State to make a statement at home that, you know, yeah, we had a rough offseason. Yeah, last year didn't go very well, but that doesn't mean anything because it's a new year. 
we want to go out there. We want to fight. We want to try and stick it to a really good opponent in uh, Notre Dame. So I'm, yeah, I think Notre Dame wins, but yeah, I just have, I really don't have any read on this one. Uh, Nick, how is dinner coming along? It's coming. What are you making? What what are you making? Just so everyone knows. I'm grilling pork chops, and then we're also going to get some mac and cheese going and a salad. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. So I have a question for you. Oh, go ahead. Before we go, who is the more average quarterback, Lewerke or Spate? I will say Spate because I think it's entirely possible that Lewerke is bad, and I know that Spate is average. That's fair. A- average to passable. I mean, I, I think that, like, I don't think Spate is nearly uh, as bad as, you know, we like to joke. Uh, I think he, you know, a lot of really young receivers, he's got some stuff working against him that I think are, you, you, you know, they hurt him in addition to the fact that he's not exactly a gunslinger. But, yeah, I, I don't know what Brian Lewerke is yet. And this is a great game for him to go out and show people. This is a great chance for him to show that, you know, Michigan State's had some pretty solid quarterbacks over the last few years. He's the next one up, and this is a chance to show why. So but I'm going to guess that you think that it is also Spate. Yeah, I, I think Lewerke has more possibility of being bad or being good, whereas <laughs> – I don't know. I'm not sure. I, the spade is what he is. That's all. That's all I know yeah. for sure. Yeah, and once once he's gone, I think it's going to be a lot better for Michigan. Neither here nor there. Wilton Spade or Nate Stanley, who is more average? Mm, spade. Okay. I, I I don't know if I agree on that, but we'll find out this weekend. It's, yeah, I'm not. It, that's a that's a weird yeah. one, and I'm yeah. not comfortable that you asked that after I profess my love for Nate Stanley, but yeah. I I think Spade. Yeah, we'll find out this weekend just how average or good or bad Nate Stanley and the Iowa Hawkeyes are when they host our beloved Penn State Nittany Lions. Thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, Make sure you give us some love. Go on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Overcast. Subscribe there. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what we do well. Let us know what we could do better. Like us on Twitter at RLRblog. Follow us on Facebook. Check out our Instagram. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Uh, Buy some shirts. They're very nice. And if you don't buy them, Nick won't love you anymore. And let me tell you, Nick is a very warm person. You want to be loved by him. And yeah. Yeah, you you really do. You do. One last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.